1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh Thanks for joining us for today's show. Remember, of course, that you can watch this show unfold by going to Facebook Live. Just uh, search for the GPB news page and we will be there. Uh, tweet us at politics And you know, I never say it uh, often enough, but because uh, and I know there are a lot of you who already do this, but you can always subscribe to the Political Rewind podcast. Uh, it turns out I'm just learning about the data mm-hmm. around that. Apparently, a lot of you do that. We have tremendous response from people who subscribe to our podcast and listen to it. So you can do that. And we're glad to have you do that as well. Greg Bluestein. The uh, political reporter, the political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the guy who is in the paper more than anybody else. Uh, Welcome. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. Jackie uh, Cushman, who is a, uh, a columnist, a conservative thinker. You know, we never talk about your books. You've got a couple of books.
2: I do have two books out. So the first one um, is called The Five Principles for a Successful Life, and um, my father and I wrote that together, and we have 34— New Yes, New Gingrich. Yes, new Gingrich. But we have 34 different people, and it's a wide range of people anywhere from Bill Clinton to Rush Limbaugh to, um, let's see, Patrick Kearney. We had like one of everybody—just I mean, everybody in there. So it's kind of a fun book looking at general life and how do you succeed. Who
3: did the Bill Clinton interview?
2: Uh, no, we, my dad did. Yeah. So we, but, but yeah, but it's, it's good. It's it was all, not it's all an basic. Air Force
1: One coming back <laughs> from Israel. <laughs>
2: but, it's, but it's just a good I mean, it's just a good we, we have everybody entertainers, politicians, you name it. We have it in there. That's cool. um, and the, and the second one. one is called The Essential American. So it's 25 documents every American should own and hopefully read. And so it starts with Patrick Henry. Give me liberty. Give me death. Takes you all the way through. Has MLK, JFK, you know, a lot of Roosevelt Overweighted in Lincoln because it's hard to cut Lincoln's speeches. They're so critically important to our country. And then it ends up um, with George W. Bush's speech at the well in the House after 9-11. Oh, terrific.
3: So it includes the
2: actual text as well as a front piece saying what was happening, why it was important, and why it's important today as well.
1: We can go to uh, JackieCushman.com and yes. get more information about the books. Yes. And also read your columns. Uh, there, your most, your most recent one, uh, which is about that uh, encounter, between the high school, the MAGA wearing hat, hat wearing kids, who seem to have been falsely accused of mocking the uh, Native American, it turned into a mess.
2: It really did, and, and it ended up the the coverage was really coverage about the coverage, as opposed to really digging in deeper. But I think the challenge we have in a in a world that moves so fast in technology, is for us to slow down and to make sure we have all the facts before we, especially before we start accusing people. And that's really my concern. Yeah,
1: fair so. enough. Beth Shapiro, now uh, enjoying sort of a retired life, not really, after being a pollster for both uh, mostly Democratic political candidates for nonprofits, also did a lot of political consulting, again, with uh, mostly Democratic candidates. And as much as you want to pull back, you are still involved in politics to one extent or another.
0: You know, I've got the defective gene. I, I can't wait <laughs> <quite> into <leave the laughs> politics. I, I don't have any books that I've written to report on. I've I've, I've read quite a few, and I'm enjoying that, but it's, uh, it's good to be here.
1: We're glad to have you. Do you have any books you want to talk about uh, that you're going to write at some point down the line?
0: Uh, no, because I have no intention of writing Good anymore. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. secrets all go with me.
1: All right. Uh, we're glad that everybody got through yesterday. It, you know, it's, we talked about it on the show because we did a live show yesterday that nobody, I don't think, blames the state, a brand new governor, school districts, which don't know what they can expect. Yeah. Everybody shut down. It's easy to mock all of that later, Greg Bluestein, but if you don't prepare and something goes wrong you end up with snow mageddon.
3: <laughs> hey look it's easy for people in New York or Chicago to, to mock us because of what they're going through right now as well but we also have long memories in Atlanta of <laughs> 2000 of 2014 of any number of of snow events that caught us off guard and if you're governor Kemp and mayor Bottoms and you're going into a f- couple of days before the Super Bowl and you and you're just like governor Kemp fresh into your office <laughs> You overreact, and you'd rather be, you know, accused of overreacting than underreacting. And I was just at an event with both of them uh, at the Buckhead Coalition, and both them used this word to describe what we just went through: dress rehearsal. They <laughs> said they'd rather be uh, they'd rather be prepared than not prepared.
1: Well, I said there was no mocking of of all of this, but there was a little. Yeah. Uh, the Senate, the state Senate, ch- Senate chose uh, to not meet yesterday. Uh, The State House did come to order. They stayed in session for a very short period of time. Uh, But this morning, Speaker of the House David Ralston did not waste an opportunity to give a little bit of grief to the Senate. Let's listen.
3: 159 House members present today. Thank you all very much. The last thing I'm going to say about today is this. I'm going to try to get you out of here quickly. Because I need for y'all to check on your senators and make sure that, if, make sure they have plenty to eat and they're staying warm and dry and if they need a ride, you can take them somewhere. Okay.
1: Uh, so uh, I, I need to reframe that. He said that yesterday, of course, uh, speaking about the fact they were in session and the uh, Senate wasn't. But you know, Beth, what I think is really fun about that—it's a funny soundbite—but it also. For people who are not like all of us, who aren't you know spending a lot of time down at the Capitol, this reminds us of just what kind of relationship the House and the Senate tend to have. It is not a warm and fuzzy relationship. It's not
0: quite the Falcons <laughs> and the Saints, but <laughs>
1: it,
0: there are times during the legislative session that it comes close. <laughs> and it Look, might be a little tweak of the new lieutenant governor, too, yeah, like, welcome, think, welcome to the party, it kid. It
3: totally was. And he, Speaker Austin waited until after Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan announced that they would be taking the day off Tuesday. On this was Monday. Um, to 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 call the house into order. So this was totally a tweak.
1: You know where we used to see that Jackie in the old days. The the most bitter of the fights. I think Thomas B. Murphy, Bremen, Georgia, and and Lieutenant Governor before he became governor Zell Miller. That was acrimonious, bitter, and there was never peace between those two.
2: No, absolutely. But, you know, Tom Tom Murphy uh, ruled um, with a a pretty firm hand, as you know, and uh, (laughs) wasn't interested in anyone telling him what to do. Yeah,
1: right. Um, All right. Big news uh, broke in the middle of our show yesterday. It was wonderful that we were able to uh, get it on the air while it was happening uh, because, Uh, A little bit after 2 o'clock, the uh, minority leader in the U.S. Senate, Democrat Chuck Schumer, held a news avail, and here's what he said. Three weeks ago,
4: I called Stacey Abrams and asked her to deliver the response to the State of the Union. I was very delighted when she agreed, and she is just a great spokesperson. She's an incredible leader. She has led the charge for voting rights, which is at the root of just about everything else. And she really has, if you look at her background, she knows what working people, middle
1: class people go through.
4: Yes, I'm very excited that she's agreed to be the respondent to the president in the state of the union.
1: Greg, really throwing her in the national spotlight.
3: Yeah, as if she wasn't already, you know, a bona fide Democratic star. Now she's got the highest, maybe the highest honors a Democrat can get. Um, you know, in, in, the, in the Capitol, um, and she'll be on the, in the spotlight firmly. And look, and as we've all reported, um, it's a good thing and it also can be a bad thing. There, there's something called of the curse of the uh, of the State of the Union response, um, and she's well aware of that as well.
1: Well, do you, have you talked to her about this?
3: Um, you know, she hasn't done any interviews yet. I, right. ta- I talked to uh, Senator Schumer a little bit last night about that. Um, and he said he has no doubts whatsoever that she'll be up to that challenge. I mean, she's, she's been in the national spotlight for so long, it's not like this is a first for her.
1: But, Jackie, uh, Greg is exactly right. Uh, this is high risk, high reward. We, we know that Bobby Jindal uh, did not do a particularly good job with his response to uh, State of the Union. Uh, it, he, he failed. Uh, we know that uh, poor Marco Rubio got about halfway through his Get, remarks drink, and drink, needed, drink water. needed water. You know, uh, Tom Faust pulled the sound of Rubio, Rubio doing that. But to listen to it on the radio, all you hear is a very long pause <laughs> while Rubio is grabbing a plastic water bottle. Uh, and uh, uh, Joe Kennedy also, uh, you know, here's a young Democrat kind of. Like a Stacey Abrams, young and upcomer in the National Party, and people. What people remember about him was that his lips were very wet.
2: Okay, <laughs> I'd <laughs> forgotten that. Just so you yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> I think a couple of things. I think um, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong. I believe this is the first time we've had a responder who wasn't an elected official. You got it. Okay, so she's she's she obviously she lost. She lost to Governor Kemp. So this that in and of itself is kind of a groundbreaking. Someone who's not currently elected who lost the last election. I think, secondarily, if you're the Democratic Party and your last major candidate was Hillary Clinton, who I said on this program was, quite frankly, a horrible candidate, um, I think it's great to have Stacey Abrams, because she is a fantastic speaker. I mean, she is dynamic. She is engaging. She is—in mean, if in terms of someone giving speeches, she is everything you would want to to bring to the speech in terms of that energy and enthusiasm, that personality. I think for the party nationally, because it has really shifted left. If you look at kind of where they are ideologically, and the and the in this Congress especially, um, you know, and you look at Nancy Pelosi from San Francisco. San Francisco actually voted to have um, non-citizens vote in their school board elections. Uh, so you see that trend. I think Stacey Abrams, quite frankly, is a perfect choice because she too, I think, is. I mean proved here she's too extreme for Georgia, but I think she kind of fits that mold of being on the far left.
0: You know, Jackie, you were doing so well up until that last phrase. <laughs> I, I was thinking, Jackie, took the words out of my mouth. Dynamic, uh, terrific speaker. Um, I, I, I think that what Jackie's use of, of the word extreme, uh, Senator Perdue's response, reply, labeling her socialist and this, that, and the other, it, it's the same old tired Republican playbook. Stace, Stacey Abrams is a legitimate—I uh, I hate to use the word star, uh, but, but she is. And, and it's because she's a brilliant woman, she's a, di- a dynamic speaker, she's a policy wonk, she's a warm, engaging person, and she's authentic. In, in an era when everybody wants every tries to be authentic, she doesn't have to try, because she is who she is. Uh, she got lots of advice during her gubernatorial race last year. Dress like this, look like that, do whatever, and 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 she's no. Here, here's who I am. Th- this is this is who, the, well, the voters will see me as I am, and they'll they'll accept me or not. And she came within 55,000 votes of them accepting her as governor.
1: Yeah, I I apologize for uh, right. starting to interrupt there. So I mean, it is certainly true, Greg, that what we hear from Jackie uh, uh, and from Beth is exactly the dynamic that we will hear if, in fact, Abrams Mm -hmm. decides first to run against David Perdue, or even if she holds off, which I find increasingly hard to imagine, it's going to be she is a progressive, liberal Democrat, and David Perdue is about as close to President Trump as you can get. So they're really expressing exactly how that election would come down.
3: Yeah, obviously she hasn't said whether she's going to run or not, but it it is— all but a certainty to many Democrats here in Georgia nationally that she is, especially with this announcement. And you're right, in some ways this is a replay of of, of what we just had in November uh, between a conservative Republican and an opponent who he or she, he tries to brand as as too extreme for Georgia. But in all, in other ways, it's going to be an entirely different race because you have an incumbent um, who who's, is, seems to be, at least through our polling, more popular in Atlanta suburbs than Brian Kemp was. And it's a federal race, and it's a race that... Uh, th- these are issues that Stacey Abrams barely touched during her campaign for governor, because she's running for Georgia governor, not not for federal office. So it's an entirely do- new uh, sort of avenue for her uh, in talking about issues that she rarely touched on the yeah,
1: campaign. Yeah, it is interesting, Jackie, that uh, Abrams is now going to be in a position. Where she is going to have to respond to President Trump, mm-hmm. who she largely avoided talking about at all. Well, which during was, which the was gubernatorial very smart. Sure. It was, it was
2: very smart. I mean, she's a very, again, she's a very smart person. She's a very serious person. Um, and this is really, for her, a great opportunity because if she plays it right and she does well, which my guess is she probably will, um, she'll get a lot of national media, which means, quite frankly, a lot of national money wherever she decides to run. I mean, we had a huge amount of money flowing into Georgia. Um, from outside the state for the governor's race. I think she had... Greg, you probably know the numbers. I think she had probably fifty percent of her money or more coming from out of state. She raised
3: about forty-two million overall, and um, it was more like about two-thirds from Two, out of
2: state. Two-thirds from out of state? Okay, yes, I, I know you know the, know the number. Um, and I think you know if you look at um, <laughs> Greg's phone going off, uh, but if you also look at oh, it's Bill. Sorry. Mind
1: buzzing. Sorry. There you
2: go. Um, but if you also look at um, her ability to to really transform the party, I think we'll have to wait and see because again, I agree with Beth in terms of all of the 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 personality and the vibrancy and the authenticity I mean I think a lot of Stacey Abrams I just think if you look at her issues which you actually didn't talk about that she actually is for Georgia much more to the left than most Georgians if you look at California I think she fits right next to Nancy Pelosi I mean I'm just I' just
0: think if you listen to her during her campaign the the one of the key issues she talked about was health care and it was Medicaid uh, in particular uh, and that's the, the — it, it's the health care issue that enabled the Democrats to take over the U.S. House um, nationwide. So I think that what, what, what I'm expecting to hear from her Tuesday night is a, is a vision about uh, uh, prosperity and, and uh, enabling folks that are not feeling terribly prosperous to, uh, to, to get back on track. Uh, and, and a key part of that is, is, is health care. Uh, and I also expect that she's going to to focus uh, on voter integrity, uh, because we certainly had a number of challenges and issues around the 2018 election here. There are two different uh, uh, lawsuits uh, that are that are making their way through the court, uh, and and so I think that that uh, that voter integrity, the uh, questions around voter suppression. Uh, and ethics in government will be another uh, well, she, key path that she goes down. Schumer
1: mentioned uh, uh, mm-hmm. voter uh, integrity in his brief remarks about why she was se- one she was selected. Yeah,
3: and in the interview with me, he said he said that uh, she's made voting rights the bedrock of her campaign, um, which she did through New Georgia Project, which was the voting mm-hmm. registration group <laughs> she started before she launched the campaign. Um, and then after the campaign, of course, she she launched Verified Action, which is which is a, which has filed that far-reaching lawsuit, um, and it's one of about a half doesn't, I think, really, um, that are still pending in the courts right now that could have um, sweeping effects in Georgia's electoral system.
1: So, so here's another thing, uh, Greg. Let me start with you, and then and I'd love to have everybody else weigh in, uh, that I, I thought about after she was announced for this job. Uh, we already knew that Democrats in the state of Georgia, Democratic leaders, are not going to give Brian Kemp an easy four years. They've made it clear that, uh, much like what we're dealing with in Washington right now, if you are the party who is not occupying uh, the White House, the, uh, you're going to go after the president every single day if you can. That's not typically something we've seen in Georgia politics all the time. It's truer now than ever, and it strikes me that Abrams now being elevated to this major national role really tells us unequivocally that Georgia Democrats feel that they're going to be at war with uh, Governor Kemp throughout the next four years because they've got Abrams as a leader. And what strikes me as interesting about that is there's been so much talk about whether Brian Kemp is going to govern the way he ran to the right or whether he's going to be conciliatory, try to reach out across the aisle. I, we don't ask that question about whether Democrats are going to try to work cooperatively with their governor.
3: Good point. And you used the word war. And Republicans picked up on that word as well because right. Stacey Abrams used that word war in, in her campaign, in her thank you tour kickoff last week. Rebecca DeHart, the executive director of the Democratic Party of Georgia, and Du Porter also used the word "war" on Saturday. It is a much more confrontational, uh, you know, edgy approach from from Democrats. Um, I think that the Democrats would would probably say something to the effect of, "Yes, Stacey Abrams had progressive views throughout the campaign on guns, on on abortion, on certain issues, but also she focused her campaign on education, more education funding, on health care expansion, a uh, Medicaid expansion, um, and on uh, uh, and on jobs." And so those aren't necessarily, you know, the, those, those controversial topics. And so that's, you know, she would make her campaign. If she was governor right now, you, we'd be talking about her pitch to expand Medicaid, which, by the way, we might still be talking about with a governor yeah. Kemp.
1: OK. OK. But, Beth, we're going to see Democrats play hardball with Kemp the, clearly. And we'll see what happens. But as of right now, it appears they are not going to give him too many breaks. Too much breathing room.
0: Um, that's that's uh, certainly been made clear by the party, and and I may lose a, a few friends over this, but I'm uh, maybe I'm just old enough to to go back to times when uh, the, uh, the election's over and you you try to figure out how how do we make the state work for everybody. Uh, I also uh, am very much uh, aware of and in touch with feelings that that the election was not. Uh, the 2018 election for governor was not uh, played on, on uh, fair territory when the uh, candidate, Republican candidate for governor, was also overseeing the state's election process. So I understand where it's coming from, and I, and I guess I'm just um, not happy that, that we're at a point where that's, that's how we fight. But, you know, we've, we've seen this at the national level. We certainly saw it under President Obama when— uh, the Republican majority leader, Mitch McConnell, basically said early in Obama's term, we're going to make him a one term president. We're not going to let him get anything done. So it's uh, it's an unfortunate reality of where we are. So politically. I, having
1: said that, Jackie, I'm, I'm also rethinking parts of that, at least. That isn't to say the parties clearly are going to continue to, to be at war with one another. I'm not sure that's necessarily going to be true in the state legislature, where there are going to be bills that Republicans and Democrats, we hope, will work cooperatively to pass. So it isn't across the board in all aspects of government necessarily.
2: No, I I think you're right. I think, um, I mean, the reality is if you want to get things done um, at the state level, you've got to work together to some degree, especially if you're in the minority party. Uh, I think secondarily, the National Party has clearly gotten this war footing um, you know, down to a science, right? Everything's about, and it's not just political um, ideology. It's really now, it's more like a team fight, right? So it's no matter what you believe, it's you're either red or blue, and I, half the time I can't remember which one's which. Um, and so I think you're now seeing that transition into, into state politics, partially because it does gather media, uh, national media even, um, and it does gather, that means it gathers money. And where media money um, are gathered, that's where people go, and I think that's what you're seeing the, the state Democratic Party do here in Georgia.
0: I, I think, think what, what you also see at the state level, we we've, we've seen it uh, in North Carolina, we saw it in Wisconsin, we've seen it in Georgia a little bit, where the the, the, the Republican uh, Party, uh, when it's uh, when power shifts, it changes the rules to enable them to to maintain control. We've seen it in Georgia with the tweaking of legislative districts uh, throughout the decade as opposed to right after uh, the census, and uh, it, it's uh, we're fully expecting that will happen again. in some of the suburban uh, legislative seats that flip from Republican to Democratic uh, look for over the next year or so for there to be tweaks in the map to you know, c- cut out a few Democratic voters here and put a few Republican,
3: more Republican voters Yo. in here. And, and some of those ousted Republicans are, are privately telling legislators, yeah, we should have done this two, right. two years ago.
1: Let, let me uh, ask you one other question about the State of the Union. Jackie, you've been up there for States of the Union addresses. I have, too. It's always a really kind – I've said that on the show uh, the other day. It, it really is a big night, and we'll watch it next Tuesday whether you like the president in right. power or not. It, the ceremony around it is, is very grand and exciting. It's not surprising that President Trump eventually decided, I don't want to give a State of the Union address anywhere but in the chambers of the United States House, because that's where it all really plays out in its grandest form, again, whether you like him or not. But here's—so here's, so here's my, my question, though. If you—and then I'll get to Jackie, I mean, to, to Beth, because you've both done some consulting with you. What, where do you put your speech if you're Stacey Abrams? What are the atmospherics? The president will have a joint session of Congress in that beautiful chamber. They'll be applauding they'll, some of them. They'll be up and down. And then the, the other party, the opposing party, gets the response, and it's in a studio or someplace, and it's all very flat. and quiet. How do you change that dynamic?
2: I, th- I think there have been, and i looking at Greg, I think he might remember. I think there have been a couple places where they've used small audiences. I know they have done some interviews. There's some yeah. call-ins. And one, one year they had a call-in with several different people there. Yeah. Um, so I do think it's important. It is very hard um, to give a, a really dynamic, really great speech in front of a flat screen. Um, I'm sure all of y'all can do it, but, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's, a, it's a learned skill. I, do, I think you put it somewhere where she can talk to people directly, where she can be seen with people. Um, maybe you even do it from Georgia because um, people are, quite frankly, tired of, um, you know, Washington right now. If you, if you ask anybody about Washington and function, then the obvious answer is no, it's dysfunction. It's not functional. So maybe even put it in Georgia so it has more of a local and a more of a personal feel. I also think I'm going to back up a little and say, um, and, and I don't know if you're going to get to what you think Trump should say, but if, if I was Trump and I was advising Trump on what to say, I would say really keep it high, really keep, really sell. If, if this is a, a breakdown about border security and the wall, This is your one chance to really explain to people why it's important, based on facts and figures, and to really sell the need to the American people and to, to show them that you actually want to work and make it happen.
1: Based on facts that the Washington Post the next day will award Pinocchios to, but all right, I'll, I'll accept what you're but saying. But this
2: is his chance to sell to the American if, people.
1: Greg, you were nodding about the notion that maybe you do this address outside of Washington, D.C. Are you hearing any talk that that no, might be what they'll do? Not
3: officially, but I I, I would imagine she would not do it in Washington. Um, in, in Washington, that it would be either in somewhere in Georgia, maybe not metro Atlanta, but somewhere in Georgia. And, and Kentucky Governor Steve Bashir, when he did his, he did it at a diner, there right. was a lot of people mm-hmm. in the background. Right. One of the hallmarks of, of, of pretty much every event she has is a, an, a segment at the end where she takes questions for the audience. I'm not right. saying she'll do something like that, but she, she's very comfortable from a stage where she is interacting with the crowd. So. Well,
1: well, Beth, if we, and we're going to get to a break, but I want to give you the last word on this. If you want to – if there's any question whether Georgia is going to be in play in, in the 2020 presidential contest, should Stacey Abrams <laughs> decide to give her speech in Georgia, that question will be answered once and for all.
0: I think that question was answered on November 6th of 2018. Well, you're probably right. I, I think that the, uh, the statewide results as well as the number of legislative seats and the congressional seat that were, were flipped – I, I think that, that that put us on the map then, and we're not leaving it, and it's about time.
1: All right, let's get to a break. Uh, we've got a lot more, obviously, we're going to talk about, uh, but we'll leave the State of the Union and uh, the Abrams response, both of which we will, of course, air on uh, GPB radio and t- uh, and TV next week on Tuesday night. You're listening to Political Rewind. We'll be right back. Scientists are collecting better
4: data about our changing climate. Now there's a push to use it for early warnings about dangerous floods, wildfires, even outbreaks of dengue fever. It gives you four months notice.
1: If you've got four months, think of all the things that you can do in four months.
4: I'm Ari Shapiro using climate data to protect people from climate impacts this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
1: Four till seven on GPB and gpbnews.org.
4: Attention all politics junkies. One of your favorite podcasts is going live and coming to a theater near you. The NPR Politics Podcast will be at Buckhead Theater in Atlanta March 8th for a special taping, and GPB wants you to be in the audience. Hear political commentary from congressional correspondent Scott Detrow, White House correspondent Tamara Keith, lead political editor Domenico Montanaro, and White House reporter Aisha Roscoe. Two lucky winners will each get a pair of tickets. Go to gpbnews.org giveaway for details.
1: Welcome back. Beth Shapiro is with us. So is Jackie Cushman and Greg Bluestein. Let let me start with you just very – we talked about this on the show yesterday, Beth, but you came in saying that one of the things you hoped you'd have a chance to talk about, and I think it's important because I think we didn't give it uh, enough body to make it count for our listeners. We now have legislation in the Georgia Senate – which proposes, well, I guess it's, I guess Nan Oreck introduced it in the House. I apologize. But both Republican women senators have signed on to it uh, Renee Unterman and Kay Kirkpatrick, saying, uh, uh, asking Georgia to reconsider passing the Equal Rights Amendment. Why is that important? That, that passed Congress in 1972, and we have one state short. Why are we talking about ERA today?
0: Well, as somebody who spent uh, a fair amount of time back in the 70s talking about the ERA as, as part of the efforts to ratify it here, uh, it's important because we still don't have a constitutional protection that uh, gives women equal status under the law. And the, the amendment is deceptively simple. It's 27 words, equality of rights shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on the basis of sex. And as uh, the late humorist Irma Bombeck uh, once said, that those are the most misunderstood words since one size fits all. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, all, we, we have a, a U.S. Constitution that does not mention, uh, does not have the word woman in it. So, well, yes, there have been uh, various protections that have been uh, enacted over the past uh, f- uh, three or four decades uh, Many of which were put into motion, by the way, by the brilliant legal strategy of then ACLU, uh, 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 working with the ACLU uh, attorney who's now uh, associate justice of the Supreme Court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We've had protections that have been enacted, but 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 they can what what's been passed by one Congress can easily be rescinded by another. So it's important that we uh, that we do add this amendment to the Constitution and. Uh, back in the in the 70s, the uh, the the deadline for ratification initially was 1978. It was extended to 82. Uh, it came up to a, for a vote uh, three times in the Georgia legislature in uh, 75. The uh, state senate defeated it uh, 33 to 22. In 1980, it, we picked up one vote and it was defeated 32 to 23. Um, and then in the Georgia House, it was defeated uh, in 1982. 116 to uh, to 57, so we, um, uh, we 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 didn't have uh, anywhere near the kind of, of legislative support that we needed back then. I think what's interesting about the effort this year uh, is that I I've, I'm not positive about this, but I don't remember that there were any Republican co-sponsors uh, on the or or signatures on the legislation back in the uh, in the 70s. Uh, uh, and I'm, I, I, I'm not saying that with 100 percent certainty. I just I don't remember. Uh, but now uh, talking about uh, legislators working across party lines uh, in the Senate, it's been introduced by Senator Nan Oroch. And the number two signature is Senator Renee Unterman, a Republican from Gwinnett County.
1: Yeah, uh- Jackie, that's why I wanted to give Beth a couple minutes, because we didn't get that kind of detail, and it's, it's important that we do that. But I think the other thing, of course, worth mentioning here is that maybe the reason you do get across party lines on this uh, is part, at least in part because the women in the legislature feel that they really got short shrift from Lieutenant Governor uh, Jeff Duncan and from the uh, Republican Senate leaders in terms of committee uh, assignments and giving chairmanships, reducing the power of women in terms of their role as chairs of party of different committees.
2: Well, my understanding is that the rules were changed in the first day in the Senate. There may be some uh, edits to that as things go along. And in addition to the um, the committee reassignments, I think there's also going to be a, a change in how the committees are run. So I think that's going the, the looks going to be different overall. Um, and so I, I don't think it's quite as uh, as simple as as it sounds. Um, secondly regarding the equal rights amendment I do think it's really important that um, we take this seriously I think I think the challenge we have is that um, we live in a world where we see women do so many things. They're head of corporations. They're on they, they're on boards. They do this, that, and the other. And then I think, you know, you think, oh, well, then do we need, really need that? I think that sometimes that's the cause, to your point. But people say, oh, do we really need to have that because we have the laws and you can't discriminate? And, and so I think this is really important at this point in time to really say, you know, this is this is an important topic. We need to really sit down and discuss this. And, yes, it's still needed, not just because of where we are today, but the fact that we need to have this on the books and to say this is the way it is. There is no discrimination regardless of sex.
1: So Greg, it's going to be interesting to see how far this gets. Republicans are painfully aware that they need to um, make gestures to try to win back suburban women <laughs> who voted democratic in the 2018 election and uh, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the Republican Party deals with this in the legislature.
3: Yeah, there's 15 women in the in the state Senate and 13 of them are Democrats. The the only two Republicans are both suburban Republicans who are being targeted uh, in the next election because they they're they're in more competitive districts. And what you're seeing, and we touched on this, but it, is maybe the form I wouldn't say a caucus, but uh, you know an interesting dynamic power block now where Republicans and Democrats are aligning with each other over some of these issues. And and in some ways this. Was was a twofold. It is not directly related to the ERA, I don't think, but um, it is a week after a twofold protest on the sexual uh, harassment complaint deadline that passed the first day of the session and over the the fact a lot of women and and some of the men in the legislature are upset that women were being shunted to less important uh, committees. Yeah,
1: we should remind our listeners, we've talked about it, but that on the same day, the first day he was in office when Governor Kemp issued an executive order which set uh, rules and regulations for how state agencies agencies should deal. I think it's fair to say more aggressively with sexual harassment mm-hmm. complaints. Uh, the state senate getting uniform mm-hmm. standards yeah. for the
3: first time too. Exactly,
1: uh, the state senate put a two year limit on the reporting of sexual harassment, and not only that, but said uh, any candidate for state, if you're a senator running for election re-election, once you start your campaign, they can't file. You you can't be uh, charged with sexual harassment, or or they can't bring bring uh, allegations against you,
3: which was a direct uh, response, it seemed, to the uh, harassment a complaint le- leveled against Senator David Schaefer, who was running for lieutenant governor last right. year. Right, what, what the state senate did on uh, on that first day was a, was appalling on
0: on two levels. One, the content of it, because I I do think that uh, what they did on both counts was wrong. Uh, but the second is that they ought to be the Political the uh, Senate leadership uh, was uh, should be accused of political malpractice because they clearly were unaware of the election results in suburban Atlanta legislative districts, uh, and, and to take uh, two steps like that, which have been interpreted by many people, women and men, as as uh, slaps at the the female senators. Uh, I I just think. I I couldn't believe they did it. Then again, as a Democrat looking at 2020, I'm kind of happy they did because (laughs) I know lots of people that who would, you know, we all kind of quieted down after the election. And now it's like, oh, my God, they're at it again.
1: Um, Let's watch. If Jackie's right that we're going to see some movement in the state Senate to try to ameliorate some of the initial damage, that'll be interesting to watch unfold. I Yeah. Uh, Greg, there is a movement in the legislature right now to reduce the uh, length of time for runoffs which in federal in federal elections in congressional elections uh, senate elections whatever and and the the late, it's a 9 week uh, period that is mandated by federal regulation to allow for military and overseas votes to be cast appropriately, right?
3: Mm-hmm. This is the result of a, uh, a federal court order a few years mm-hmm. ago about those military absentee ballots. And it's caused a lot of um, concern in Georgia because uh, questions about voter fatigue and about electoral fatigue, because we now have certain runoffs, uh, state runoffs, that are three weeks after the election, but federal runoffs are nine weeks after, and it could set up a situation where you're voting in early January after a uh, uh, you know a federal runoff in in 2021 maybe, yeah. um, and so and it, the same concerns were 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 brought up in, in back in 2014 there was worry that you know we could have a new Congress being set, seated before. Uh, we had our Senate runoff, Run if there off. was a runoff. Yeah.
1: Um, it, it also has an impact on fundraising. I mean, you need more money, obviously, a nine week period. Jackie well, and, and requires a lot more money to get those commercials up and running, it, among it, other things. It
2: is. It's, it, it is a long time, and we and we've had that before, and it, it is exhausting not only for the um, for the candidates, but quite frankly, I think for the public, to uh, continue to look at those those um, those commercials again and again. I think um, one of the challenge. You know, we're one of the states where you have to have fifty plus. You know, you have to have fifty plus one to avoid. You know, right the runoff. So it's a really hard if you have a lot of people in a race, it's really hard to do that. So um, I do think that, I think you may have mentioned that Kay Kirkpatrick um, you know, is is, uh, is trying to um, let voters from overseas military people do both email and other ways to cast ballots. That might eventually lead to something that could have reduced the time. But I do think, um, regardless of how you look at it, nine weeks is a really long time, and you certainly wouldn't want the rest of Congress to be seated or Senate and for our representative not to be there.
1: You know, Beth, I, I think one of the points Jackie makes, which is um, – This only applies to federal elections. Nevertheless, she also makes the point we are really, I think, the only or one of the only remaining states that requires a runoff in every single race where a candidate does not receive 50 percent plus one. There is nothing to suggest that the legislature is going to act on that and change that rule but it does create some problems that are really striking. The very thing that Greg was talking about.
0: To, to the contrary, the results from November sixth of two thousand eighteen suggest that there's no way that that's going to right. happen anytime mm-hmm. soon. Because right. we had two statewide contests that went to runoffs, uh, and uh, uh, with with the candidates separated just by a couple of, of percentage points in in both, there's a there's been an, an interesting change. I think the state of Maine enacted the ranked Righteous. voting. Uh, which really makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, we're going
1: to devote an entire I'm show to, yeah. to trying yeah. that here, to explain. <laughs> <but> <laughs> there, there,
0: there is a way that, that, that we can elect the, the person who is the most palatable to voters and do it all on one election day and not have to go to runoffs. Yeah.
1: Uh, Greg, do you think they're going to find a solution to short to – uh, shorten that that runoff time and get the military vote? Is, is email voting going to be something they're looking at seriously? It strikes me that at a time when you're talking about election security, email voting doesn't make you feel a whole lot more confident.
3: Yeah, and some states have adopted similar similar proposals. <coughs> and so there is a path to do that. Um, I don't think there will be any real push to end runoffs, period, just as you guys mentioned. Um, but I, I do think there is just about no one – Likes the system we have now with a nine-week. R- we had we had um, states that voted after Georgia did in the primary, but then had runoffs before mm-hmm. our runoff this this past cycle, and 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 it just um, the election results were what they were. But nine weeks is a long time. Boy,
1: it's just it's just and for people like you, you're doing a lot of work during that period. <laughs> I don't think of they're time. thinking about reporters. <laughs> <when they're, laughs> um, Greg, there is a new effort to repackage the notion of having uh, passing a gambling law or a series of gambling laws in the state of Georgia. And I I was going to try to to report on this, but I just got a news release that our friend Brian Robinson set out on Mm -hmm. behalf of Brandon Beach, who's now announced for Congress. Do you know off the top of your head what they're calling, what Brandon Beach, who's one of the people behind this, is calling – this new effort to pass a, 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 a bill that would allow for horse racing and paramutual wagering—he's
3: calling it the rural jobs bill. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. This That's is a awesome. suburban Atlanta candidate <laughs> I, uh, for Congress who's. Oh,
1: here it is. It is. Here's the headline of the news release that Robinson sent out. Beach introduces rural Georgia jobs and growth act. (laughs) He wants to put horse racing in middle or South Georgia.
3: (laughs) Maybe it's a a, he's also trying to talk to an audience of one Brian Kemp. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) who, who, by the way, has been very vocal that he's against any sort of uh,
1: gamble. Let's let's hear what he told Scott Slade on lawmakers. This is the governor.
4: Casino gaming, starter or no starter for a governor? Well, it's been a no starter for me.
2: I've
3: been very clear on that. I haven't really heard much about casino gambling, um, but maybe I will.
1: So the idea behind this, Greg, is uh, that we've got a lot of horse people traveling between Lexington, Kentucky, and Florida. Why not give them something to do here by having racing staged here which brings other parts of the racing industry into play.
3: Yeah, that could they could uh, spur an entire like mini equestrian economy around around Middle Georgia or South Georgia, wherever they decide to put this racetrack. And there's already been interest from some of the major uh, race organizers to to put a race in Georgia if by 2021 or 2022 if that's legalized. But we're also going through the same process we've had a perennial debate in Georgia. I've seen this this bill even get through committees before and just mm-hmm. die on the floor of the Senate or the House. Um, and you had always an opposition from Governor Perdue, Governor Deal, and now you have opposition from Governor Kemp. These bills don't necessarily have to have a signature because they're constitutional amendments, and so they'd go to the voters, but there'd still be the, the implementing legislation, the underlying bill that, that sets up how this works. that would have to have a signature. It's hard to do that when the governor doesn't, doesn't support it.
1: You know, speaking of the horse racing uh, aspect of this, Beth, I arrived in Georgia in 1983. My first session of the legislature was that 1984 session. And parimutuel wagering was all the talk of the legislature way back then.
0: It's like the ERA. Everything old is new again.
1: <laughs> uh, the other interesting thing about this, Greg, is that there's also a, is it a, a House resolution? There's a there's a, a a movement to let Georgia voters decide in a broader way about whether they support gambling in the state. Is that? Am I reading that right?
3: Yeah, and, and we've seen these in the past too. I mean, a few years ago, it was 2012 when Republicans put on their primary. Ballot: a question of whether or not voters supported casino uh, casino gambling, legalizing casino gambling to allow uh, to, to help fund the Hope Scholarship, and a narrow majority, if I remember correctly, did. So you're seeing attitudes change. A little bit, but there's still the same concerns, even from Democrats. Stacey Abrams always said that she supports, she might, she may be supportive of, of legalizing gambling as long as it goes towards a HOPE 2.0 type program. Yeah. Um, Mayor Reed was always op- opposed to a casino in downtown Atlanta. He worried that it would, it would prey on, uh, uh, you know, lower income people who didn't have the money to gamble away.
1: One of the things, Jackie, that I thought was interesting when I read this story, and we're going to get to a break, so I'll give you the last word in this segment, is uh the, the lobbyists aren't coming out the way they did a couple of sessions ago in last year. They were spending the MGM grand types. Right. They were spending a lot of money in Georgia to try to get legislation passed to allow casino gambling. That, according to the AJC, has really died down. Apparently, they don't think they're going to get very far at this point.
2: Well, evidently, they looked across the nation and they've been spending money here and they said that hasn't done anything for us. Let's go somewhere else. Right. So and like, like everybody else, they have limited money. Um, but I do think I mean, Greg's exactly right. When you have a governor who's not really excited about a particular subject, it makes it very hard to pick it up and, you know, and, and, and carry it forward when you, when you don't have that support behind you.
1: All right, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way and come back with more on today's Political Rewind.
4: Financial contributions from listeners like you are not the only gifts that keep GPB on the air. In fact, many listeners have already chosen to donate a used vehicle to GPB. We'll pick up your vehicle for free and send you the paperwork for your taxes. Get started today. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org slash cars. That's 877-GPB-1-CAR or gpb.org slash cars. And thanks.
0: On the next Fresh Air, composer Nicholas Brutel, his score for If Beale Street Could Talk is nominated for an Oscar. He also composed the score for Vice, which is nominated for Best Picture. Brutel scored the films Moonlight and The Big Short, composed the theme for HBO's series Succession, and for 12 Years a Slave, he wrote spirituals and work songs. Join us.
1: Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 here on GPB and gpbnews.org. Jackie Cushman, the conference committee that is going to look at how to solve the problem of the continuing resolution, how to fund the government. Remember, we have a three-week window here that President Trump uh, was proud to announce he had gone along with. And at the end of three weeks, if they don't work out a deal, the government potentially could shut down again. So they had their first meeting, House and Senate conferees today, to try to resolve this What do we do about the president's request for $5.7 billion? What do Democrats want to do about other aspects of immigration? Um, One of the interesting things is that our own Tom Graves has been appointed as one of the House members on the conference committee. But here's what's interesting, and I want you to weigh in on this, if you will. Suddenly, this is no longer a dynamic of President Trump against Nancy Pelosi. This is now kind of regular order of business, right? You have a conference committee and legislators in Washington trying to resolve this.
2: Uh, that's extremely helpful because <laughs> uh, part of the problem with the shutdown is you have two incredibly strong personalities. You have you know, Nancy Pelosi, who very smart, very tough. Um, you know, on one side, you have President Trump. You know, smart, neither side (laughs) wants to give in. And the problem is, is when you have two sides that need to negotiate, what you really want is two sides to understand they need to be able to walk out of the room together and say, gosh, you know, we're both kind of not really happy, but we're both going to make it work because we have to make it work. And when you had the two really big figures, especially, again, with all the media support, you know, focus, it just wasn't happening. So hopefully this process will work much better.
1: Beth Tom Graves is a very, very conservative member of that uh, committee, and uh, he at one point was a sponsor a signer of legislation to put some twenty five billion dollars in to the wall it'll be interesting to see where he comes down on all of this
0: and I don't expect him to to give much because that uh, he he is who he is and he represents a, a very conservative constituency. I think the challenge that that nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have in negotiating with President Trump is you don't know what when when he's going to change his mind. You could walk out of a room and, and say, we, we both gave a little, and here's where we're going with it, and then Rush Limbaugh and Ann Coulter start calling the president a wimp, and before you know it, he's changed his mind. So I, I, I think it's it's a challenge negotiating with this White House. Um, on the other hand, I, I do think that it appears to be a pretty strong conference committee. Uh, it's, a, it's a balanced group of, of people from both ends of the spectrum and places in, the, in between. And, and I think you have people like our own Senator Isaacson who are standing up and saying, look, folks, we, we, we sent, we've been sent here to, to make government work for the people. and We can't shut this down again. So yep. I, I, I think we're going to come out. I'm, I'm, I'm
3: hoping we're going to come out with something. That can pass. And that mini revolt that you mentioned from with, with Senator Isaacson and five other Republican senators changed the dynamic. Yeah. And um, uh, my AJC colleague, Jim Galloway, a f- frequent guest on the show, had a great interview with him that was published in today's paper where, where Senator Isakson said, if we have another vote like we did last Thursday, there'll be a lot more than six of us crossing over to get something done. That's a game changer.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be uh, interesting to see... Whether the president, the president, tweeted today that uh, he, if they're not going to talk wall funding, then they're wasting their time. So,
3: but we're seeing cracks in the Republican wall on that issue yeah. uh, with people like Senator Isaacson. And, so. and
1: if I were the Democrats,
0: the uh, Democratic leadership, and Democratic members of the committee, I would just ignore whatever he's tweeting. I, I, th- I think we, in general, pay far too much attention to these tweets. Uh, I I think that the committee needs to do its work and uh, then it's going to be up to Senator McConnell, Leader McCarthy and others to sit down with the president and say, look, this is this is what we're going to get. And you've got it. You have to go along with this.
2: I actually agree with Beth. I think I think the more we focus on what's actually happening in some terms of substantive things versus. Regardless of it's you know Donald Trump tweeting or anybody tweeting or, or things that are passing that may or may not be you know just like fly by night, to me it's like I have a little dog that's a mutt that barks at anything. That's kind of sometimes you just get caught, you know caught in that never never chamber when really we need to look at what can be put together and by the committee and see what happens after that.
1: Jackie, uh, you and your father are very you 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 get along, but you have different political. Views at times, you're certainly not. Yeah, you're not. (laughs) You're not tied at the hip. Uh, So he's been incredibly supportive of of the president and the way in which he's been handling things, Um, and and I haven't heard him. And so I'm turning to you on this. Is Trump at this point doing significant damage to the regular Republican Party?
2: Um, I, I don't think he is, and, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to caveat that with, unfortunately, um, in the world in which we do listen to a lot of bunny barks and people, you know, saying What, things, what did you call those? Bunny barks That's what that's what oh I call them, god, bunny barks I'm calling. Oh my god, I love that. Bunny. So I'm going <laughs> to send you a video of my of my dog Bunny. <laughs> you'll understand. But I think in in the world in which we live, that all this gets passed over by the next election. So I would like to say we have some kind of you know long substantial, but the reality is no. And I think it's really up to. You know, the citizens to really step back and, and really figure out what to focus on and what not to focus on and what really impacts their lives and what doesn't. And in the end, that will end up changing the world in which we live.
1: All right. That'll be fun to watch. Uh, Greg, one last quick note before we have to leave. The uh, the governor made a little bit of news in a number of areas in in his conversation with Scott Slade for lawmakers. Mm-hmm. One of which is was he said he doesn't like the idea of taxes on services like Netflix, other communications Media of that sort, and yet there are people who thought that was the way you're going to be able to pay for expansion of broadband into rural Georgia.
3: Yeah, remember he made this a cornerstone of his campaign, and and other r- legislative leaders from both parties have have always have long said that we have to figure out some way to speed and streamline brought more broadband access to rural areas. We're just not sure how yet. And he didn't completely close the door on the so-called Netflix tax, but he said he needs he'd have to find some way to offset it. And he, yeah,
1: he yeah, it's kind of a buy- for him, because here's a guy who ran saying, I'm going to reduce your taxes, and at the same time, he does need to find more revenue to pay for some of the things they want to do in rural Georgia, particularly broadband. And
3: he needs that accomplishment. He needs to, to go back to rural Georgia and say, Hey, I got something done for you in, in year one, because he won such big margins from that part of the state.
1: All right. Um, we're just about out of time uh, for today's show. So, Beth Shapiro, Jackie Cushman, Greg Bluestein, really. A Good conversation. Thank you. I, I always learn something when I get a chance to talk to, to all of you on this show. So thanks for being with us today. Uh, that is just about it for us here on Political Rewind. We're not on, of course, tomorrow. Thursday is our day off. Uh, we are back, however, of course, on Friday, and uh, we'll be doing the live radio show as usual at 2 o'clock. You can tune in then. And then if you want to see how it looks on TV with like real TV production cameras, (laughs) not just these little things we use on Facebook Live, you can watch that show at 7 o'clock on a Friday night on GPB-TV statewide, and then it's repeated on Sunday morning. And even if you're already listening and don't want to watch the show, tell your friends they can watch it and start getting to see what we do here on Political Rewind. That's it. We'll see you on Friday, I'm Bill Nygut. Have a great rest of the day. At a time when information continues to come at us
4: faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind.